Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Varney, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Comment, Kevin O'Climber. <laughs> Kevin! Bernal, I don't drink coffee because that wakes me right up. Every time you do that. <laughs> I'm very excited that we're going to be doing this throughout the offseason yes. once a week so we can at least keep tabs on everything that's going on in the NBA. And uh, a big thanks to all of the listeners that said nice things yesterday and even the ones that said mean things. The biggest story <laughs> in the last 24 hours is Mark Stein's report from the New York Times that the 76ers, who have been without a boss for some time since Brian Colangelo was ousted, took a run at Daryl Morey and were rebuffed. I will tell you, Kevin, that <laughs> when I when I first read the headline, I was like, what in the world? Because we know that this is where Sam Hinkie came from. And so what a world that would be if Sam Hinkie, who walks away from that job, once they try to install the Colangelos to work with him, then his somewhat mentor goes in and gets to follow through on the process. I mean, obviously, we don't hear about this until it was already done, right? Like, we we find out after the fact. It wasn't like we saw the story, hey, the Sixers want to talk to Daryl Morey. It was the Sixers did talk to Daryl Morey, and Daryl Morey <laughs> is staying in Houston. And so now we kind of know that that all took place. But I got to tell you, Kev, I was shocked that, I mean, why not just call Sam Hinkie then? Right? Just bring him back. Well, two things. Uh, you can't blame the Philadelphia 76ers for going for one of the better general managers in the league in Daryl Morey. Um, <laughs> the second part is I get a kick out of how you, you pronounce his last name. Morey? Morey, yeah. That's how I've always said it. I know. <laughs> as long as we've known each other, it's always been Morey. And you um, say a different Morey? Yeah, Morey, yeah, Daryl Morey. But um, I guess that's beside the point. You can't blame Philadelphia for going for him. And, and for Daryl staying in Houston, it's great. I mean, Houston is in a wonderful situation. Uh, you wonder if maybe when Chris Paul's in year three of that contract, it'll be like, shucks, maybe I should have taken that Philly gig as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are heading into their prime. But you know what, man? You know, the thing with that Philadelphia job, I've heard, you know, the odds are they might hire internally, but they're clearly doing their due diligence looking elsewhere. Mike Zarin from the Celtics is another name that, that's gotten thrown around. I'm not sure he's going to leave that gig now. And honestly, Chris, I'm curious about your thoughts. If you're an executive in the league and you have a path to becoming a general manager and Philadelphia wants you... I often wonder maybe with Philadelphia, it's kind of already set. Like with Colangelo, one of the issues was that Hinky built the team, right? And now you're still on that path of what Hinky built. You're not doing it your own way. Would you take that job knowing that like it's an easier gig or would you want a greater challenge uh, when you're getting your first general manager opportunity? I would want that job because here's what gets you fired. Losing. And you are set up to win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you even saw last year. There's only year. 30 of them. Colangelo made some good tweaks. I mean, I know it's unpopular to say anything good about him, but the additions that they made off of the scrap heap changed that team and gave them a much greater opportunity. You know, they were not a team that was going to be a top four seed. They had a tremendous run, and I know their schedule got weaker, but they also had guys that they added to the mix that were two of their best plus minus guys for the last 25 games of the season. 
And so he did make some reasonable moves. Time will tell on some of the others. And the other thing is this. Replacing the guy that replaced the guy is always easier. What you don't want to do, and wouldn't you say the Q rating for Sam Hinkie amongst Sixers fans is extremely high. Would we agree? Yeah. Okay. Sixers fans love Sam Hinkie. Okay, love right. And they couldn't stand Colangelo. And there was an extra thing, because it wasn't just like he replaced him. It was like he pushed him out, right? Like that they they forced him out. Well, it's like Sixers fans say, Sam Hinkie died for our sins. Right. And so now, <laughs> now you're replacing Colangelo. You're not replacing Hinkie. And so you have a chance to be beloved. That's what and I You're still say. replacing Hinky, though. You're still Yeah, but I mean, you, you yeah, think about it, all these guys. It's a different. I know. You're right. When you replace somebody that is beloved in any sport, it's just an extremely difficult task. It just is because you are held up against. And so it's tough if you're Bill Guthridge and you got to walk in for Dean Smith or if you're Frank Solich, you got to walk in for Tom Osborne or you're whoever, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin, you got to walk in for a Phil Fulmer, like any, anybody, whether it's college or pro, anybody that was once beloved and now you're the next guy, you're really up against you're it. You're right. You changed my mind already. I, like what I, what I said just a couple of seconds ago, silly, because the difference with the Colangelo thing was the fact that his father and Brian Colangelo were both kind of just squeezed into the situation, pushing Hinky out, as you said, whereas this is just a flat-out hiring. That's really all it is. I guess it is a little different. I, I do wonder, though, maybe general managers would, would rather have a job that's a little bit of a challenge. But then again, as you said, the job security factor, like with Philadelphia, you were set up to win for not just in the next couple of years, but for a very, very long time, a very long time, if you pull the right strings along the way. And you know what? Even with this team right now, Philadelphia is not the favorite in the Eastern Conference. It's Boston moving forward. As of right now, Boston is the favorite for the foreseeable future. So there's still moves that need to be made by whoever is the next Sixers general manager, whether that's tough decisions and trades, um, deciding on who to move and who not to move. Someone like Markel Fultz, things like Ben Simmons shooting with the wrong hand, Joel Embiid conditioning and continuing to improve his offensive efficiency. The team's not totally set. They still have cap space moving forward. They have more future picks coming in. There's big decisions that need to be made. So I I do think it's still a challenge, just to, I guess, answer my own question earlier. And really, I I actually wonder the opposite, is if this is a job executives regret possibly passing on because it is so good. Yeah. And maybe they just sat in a meeting amongst themselves and they said, is there anybody that has a public Twitter account that's a general manager? (laughs) And then somebody yeah, said, Daryl yeah, Morey, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> because there aren't that many yeah. out there. So, I mean, you don't have to worry about Daryl having a multitude of burners because Daryl has his own and he uses his name. That at least checks that off the list. But him with the prior relationship with Hinky is just kind of bizarre. It would kind of be full circle, right? Yeah. Well, it even said in Stein's article the people around the league were surprised by this. Like of all the people, you're going to go to probably the probably without question the guy with the best relationship with Sam Hankey of all of them which team is closer to a title right now Chris is it Houston or Philadelphia Houston I don't think that's uh, 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 am I assuming Capella's back yeah sure yeah if I assume yeah. Capella's back yeah that question was posed in our NBA slack yesterday at the ringer uh, and I'm I agree with you Houston right now it's like a listed some of the the questions with Philadelphia earlier. 
they're probably better set up long term, but right now Houston's closer to a title. They're like a Chris Paul injury away from going to the finals and beating Cleveland. They went seven games with Golden State. The only thing that would concern me a little bit, is it fair to say neither of those two teams have gotten better this offseason thus far? Oh, that's fair, for sure. And possibly worse. Very possibly. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, Houston's two losses at Ford, those can't be overlooked. They're going to need to be replaced at some point between now and the trade deadline or with waivers like last year with Philadelphia picking up Ursan, Ilyasova, and Marco Bellinelli. Those guys are going to have to be replaced at some point. And so far, they haven't been. There's time, though. The, the team building process doesn't end in on July 17th. It ends when waivers are over. That that's when it ends. Ends at the trade deadline. Right now is not that time. So Houston has time. But uh, yeah, those guys are important and they're going to be missed. The Carmelo Anthony thing still hanging out there. Would you like that fit in Houston? <laughs> On paper, yes. Last year uh, when the Carmelo rumors were swirling, I remember pitching my editors like, hey, you know, I think this would be a great fit for Houston. You know, if it happens, this is my idea for how I would cover it. And it didn't happen. He ended up going to Oklahoma City, and I covered it basically the same way, where it's like, hey, playing alongside Russell Westbrook and Paul George is an opportunity for Carmelo Anthony to become the Team USA version of himself. Spot up threes, trying harder on defense, cutting, screening, all this type of cool stuff. And it didn't work out. It just didn't work at all. The Team USA version of Carmelo Anthony wasn't good in Oklahoma City. Maybe things would be different in Houston. Uh, I have question marks, especially after last year in OKC, but I'm still, I'd still be very, very intrigued to see it. I think Houston could do a lot of creative things with him, either as a screener. Let's imagine this. like Instead of Ryan Anderson setting those little slip screens at the top of the key and popping for three, if you have Carmelo Anthony doing that, granted he's not as great of a shooter as Anderson, but he is better at attacking off closeouts. I think he would add a new dimension to their team. But then again, I thought the same damn thing of Oklahoma City, and I was dead-ass wrong about that. So I don't know. I, I do think he's worth a risk. He adds a little bit of variance to their team. And and what did Daryl say uh, last year, Chris? What was it? We need to raise our risk profile or something along those lines. That's what I think Carmelo Anthony would provide for the Houston Rockets if it happens. Yeah, and... Uh- D'Antoni's creativity works so well for Carmelo and Anthony the first time <laughs> He quit around. his job because of him and he's publicly admitted it. <laughs> and also Carmelo, really known as a screen setter and all-around team basketball player. What in the hell are you talking hey. about? Isaac, this is where you're supposed to come in and go, he's whoa. <laughs> Isaac, come on, sing it. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony setting screens. That was a good one, Kev. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so I just pulled up Carmelo's <laughs> synergy stats from last season. Carmelo Anthony he, he, has set seven screens in his no, career. he set more than that. So last season, he finished 93 possessions, uh, shooting, drawing a foul, or turning the ball all over out of the pick and roll when he set the screen. He did well in the pick and pop. He didn't do well on slipping the screen, a similar motion as a pick and pop. It depends on how it's defined by the Synergy video team. But um, 93, is that uh, the, the number you the, said? Put it this way, the numbers aren't good. Uh, Did you say he, 93? He, yeah, well, 90, that, that's, 93 total wow, possessions. Wow, that's, that's a little more well, than one a yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. And he was in the 10th percentile for scoring, uh, which is not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a small sample. Like, let's get so, creative. So look, look, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's get creative. <laughs> I, I realize uh, I'm not standing for Carmelo Anthony here. I don't. I've never been a big Carmelo fan, even in his prime. My point is, is that it's possible you catch him on a season where he just he's hot. 
He's had seasons where he shot the ball better. He had a season where he shot 40.2% from three. He had a season where he shot 38% from three. It just so happens that this season, they caught him on a year where he shot right around his average, 36% from three. But Houston could get him more open shots, different spots of the floor. It could just be a different result, even if he is essentially the same overall player. The thing I would worry about is the amount of minutes that he's going to log on the wing, because now you are then putting, you know, James Harden, who is not necessarily known as Mr. Lockdown. Um, really? You're not going to have, you would now have, uh, that's an understatement. You've got that front line of Paul and you've got the back line of Capella, but you know where I stood on the ability to make Golden State uncomfortable and play oh, them yeah. in a lower scoring game. This is a added firepower, and maybe we could play them one twenty eight to one twenty two. And you know, well, you know where I stand on that. I think that's a fool's errand, and nobody's going to beat Golden State playing fast paced all star game type game and trying to outscore them. The key is to try to make them uncomfortable, which you were able to do with PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza and the like, because you had four guys at, at minimum that were really out there grinding with Ariza Tucker. Capella, Paul, and so you're able to withstand if James Harden isn't exactly, you know, Scottie Pippen out there. And you're adding Carmelo Anthony to that. We keep on wanting to think that Carmelo Anthony is going to be able to move into being a role player, but I'm not so sure that that is. Some guys have a very difficult time doing that, right? Including Carmelo Anthony. They didn't want to have the bench role. Right. And that's something, unfortunately, that I think he'll have to accept at one point. But if he starts, it doesn't mean that he has to finish. Right. I know. But that can cause real problems, especially with somebody that is that accomplished. I mean, I lived it for two weeks, two weeks. And this is something gets lost in history. But in one offseason, the Grizzlies added Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was just not going to be fine being Mike Conley's backup and sitting at the end of games. And within four games time, his quote after the game, they people asked him if he was healthy because that's the kind of stuff you get when you are a star like that. Right. Or a former star like that. They said, are you healthy? This is one of my favorite quotes ever. And he said, am I healthy? And they said, yeah, do you feel okay?" And he said, my butt hurts. From sitting on the bench. <laughs> My butt hurts from sitting on the bench was his quote. And, and and there was a quick divorce. You know what I mean? Like some guys, that's just not, I don't know. It's not in them to not be what they've always been, which is the man or a star. And I don't think Carmelo Anthony's willing to give up on I'm not a big star anymore. That's what I'd say. This is the end of that Iverson quote. I just pulled it up. He says, I'm not a bench player. I'm not a sixth man. Look at my resume, and that'll show I'm not a sixth man. I don't think it has anything to do with me being selfish. It's just who I am. I don't want to change what gave me all the success that I've had since I've been in this league. I'm not a sixth man, and that's that. Similar to Carmelo Anthony, not wanting to accept the bench role. And that's unfortunate because you think about Allen Iverson, granted that was his final season. He finished out with Philadelphia um, after he made his way back there, but maybe maybe things could have been a little bit different. He was certainly declining, but maybe moving forward, he could have been a spark plug off the bench, right? For A hundred percent, Allen Iverson was beat up, you know what I mean? It was not physically yeah. there. He, he wasn't all, healthy. It was more than no, just his butt hurting. For sure. 
but he <laughs> so he was not he was not physically you know going to be able to play a lot more years. But there's no way that Allen Iverson couldn't have given you low minutes, yeah, for a couple more years and really twenty changed minutes up, per game, something for sure. Like that. Changed yeah. up, he could he could have flipped a lot of games for a team mm-hmm. if that was in his personality to be that guy. It's same thing with Melo. Right? I mean, he played 32 minutes per game last season, which was a career low, by the way, a career low for him. Well, listen, the other one I lived it with Zebo two years ago with Fisdale when Fisdale moved him to the bench, and it was awful. Because after every single game, the guy got, I mean, he was the man in town and he got asked every single game, every game. Now he was the consummate professional about it, but even to the end of the season. But the thing was, what you have to do with somebody like that is they have to a swallow their pride a little bit and B, you just run everything to them in the second unit. The second unit's theirs. So then you could keep going to them and say, hey, your shot attempts aren't going down. The second unit is yours. And my God, if you could, I mean, Carmelo Anthony would blast second units. If you just made it, you know, the second unit's yours. You're the man on that when the bench comes in. Well, they did use him against some second units, to be fair, last year with OKC. You mean going all in, right? Like he comes like, he yes. comes off the bench with five minutes left in the first quarter, you know, and he plays until like there's 10 in the second quarter, something like Listen, that. Listen, once upon a time, Bill Walton won six man of the year playing for the Celtics yeah. years down the road, yeah, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with being a six no. man. There's a lot of great six men in, in league history. One of, one of the guys right now towards the end of his career, Manu Ginobili. Yes. Manu in his career has played 300. He started 349 games. Started only 349 games, came off the bench for 708 games, and that's regular season only. And he's a just obviously, I mean, this one of the most important players of the last 20 years on the San Antonio Spurs. And he accepted that bench role and he flourished in it. And it was a, well, right, a critical well, part this, of the team. Flipping to another guy, because we need to talk about uh, some of the other news that's come out since last week. Isaiah Thomas, since we last spoke, ended up with the Nuggets. Is that what he is? And is he going to be fine with that? We'll see. He wasn't He wasn't a couple of years ago in Boston. I remember there was a story or maybe a public comment. I'm not sure. But Danny Ainge essentially said a similar thing that you just brought up about great six men in league history. He he brought up the great six men in Celtics history in regards to Isaiah Thomas and like saying you could be one of those next guys. Right? Actually, I just pulled it up. It was in 2015 that he actually said that about Isaiah Thomas's role as a potential six man for the Celtics. And for the Nuggets, it'll be intriguing. And I think for Isaiah Thomas, he also needs to think about that as well. There is a benefit to coming off the bench and flourishing within your role, just like he did with Sacramento when he was a half starter. He was a half bench player. And then with Phoenix, he came off the bench. He flourished, came off the bench when he first was traded to Boston. He was fantastic. Then he turned into the starter, finishing top five in MVP voting in 2017. It's not that long ago that guy was an elite scorer-level player. But to get back to that, maybe you do have to sacrifice a little bit and come off the bench for what is a pretty good I mean, pretty good overall team with that Denver Nuggets roster. Their defense is going to struggle, but maybe you can mitigate a little bit of that if Isaiah's not sharing the, the floor as much with Nikola Jokic. It's going to be fascinating with him because I cannot speak to what that locker room is like in Denver. I know that it will help that he has a prior relationship with Malone, their coach. But the hard part about 
somebody like Thomas, somebody like when we talked about Iverson, somebody like when we talk about Carmelo is, and especially with, in the Thomas case, so accomplished. And you know that there is massive chip on his shoulder. You're never going to get back a hundred million, but that you are playing this season in order to get a big time payday. Like you're still hoping that that is out there. And so you are going to prove yourself once again this season. Well, what happens if he's not starting? What happens if more importantly, he's not closing games? And like I said, I don't know that locker room. I don't know who's got the, who's got the gravitas within it, but I know he is a very vocal guy and an unhappy Isaiah Thomas can have (laughs) a profound negative effect. And that was all the stories in Cleveland. I mean, Brian Windhorst was out there telling everyone he talked his way out of Cleveland because he went in there and he was, he was vocal and he rubbed people the wrong way in his time there. And with a young team, that probably doesn't have necessarily an established leader that everybody looks to. That's the foil of this, right? He is clearly the most accomplished of the guys within that locker room. Nobody else has been all NBA. Nobody else has averaged 30 points in the league. Nobody else has been the king of the fourth, all this kind of stuff. And he may not be that guy anymore, but his personality is still of that guy. And so what takes place If he's not starting or he's not closing and this is his one year in order to try to get a reasonable amount of money back, he never did get the big payday. And so I don't know, man. Like there's a risk with Thomas for sure. There's a risk. You know, it'll be interesting because, again, it wasn't that long ago that Isaiah Thomas was the king in the fourth. He had one of the greatest scoring seasons in the fourth quarter and recorded league history going back the last 20, 30 years. With Denver, of course, you have guys that are going to be on the on the floor at the end of games. Jokic, Millsap, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Will Barton. Like, that's your top five right there. That's your starting lineup. Um, I'm not sure who Isaiah Thomas plays over in those situations uh, when you're paying Will Barton so much money. When Nikola Jokic is your, your best overall player and Paul Millsap is a two-way fixture of your team, maybe Isaiah Thomas is an offensive weapon and they pull them off on defensive possessions. Um, but then again, that creates complications with timeouts and situations and all that type of stuff. But um, I do wonder who he plays over to close those games. But then again, man, like, it really, for Denver, you know what it is? It's just a gamble. Again, it's like with Carmelo Anthony earlier for Houston, like, he is a high-variance player where he might swing things your way if, if you catch him on a good year. Um, Isaiah Thomas, we don't really know what player he'll be coming back Again, from the injury, we don't know what type of player he's going to be. But if he is similar to that guy, you know, when he finished top five in MVP voting and he was an all-NBA player, well, you know what, man? Like, you're going to love to have that guy on your team. But if he's a total shell of his former self, well, either he's going to have to accept that or they're going to have to find somebody else to take on the backup point guard role. It is a weird deal because I thought last year that one of their issues, I thought they could have won a good amount of games if they would have just had somebody that could settle them down and get them into some sets when, you know, so many of the games come down to the last two, three minutes of the game. Right. And they kept playing without a point guard and they did it all year. And I can't tell you how many games I watched. And at the end of Denver games, it just appeared to be an equal opportunity. Whoever got the ball. And sometimes they throw it to Jokic and run an offense through him. But whether it was Barton or whether it was Harris or whether it was Jamal Murray, 
none of those guys were elite at making other people better, right? Setting up somebody else for a really good shot or running a set. And sometimes there is a real value to just having a point guard that can settle everything down and get you into something good, you know, where you're just running your basic pick and rolls and I'm either kicking to the corner, I'm going, or I'm picking and popping. Like, I mean, and it just seemed like so many times it was scatterbrained at the end rather than settled down. And I mean, Isaiah Thomas is another one that is typically, if I've got the ball, I'm jacking. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, with that team, you, you have multiple playmakers. Nikola Jokic is the best passing big man in basketball. Jamal Murray can run a little bit of pick and roll. Will Barton is a funky player who can run pick and roll. Isaiah Thomas, yeah, he can take on that pure point guard role. But even within this team, you don't you don't need a pure point guard. Like even Isaiah Thomas, he was arguably his last season in Boston. He was arguably better off ball than he was on ball. As great as he was on ball, Brad Stevens running him through screens, dribble handoffs, all the weird stuff they did with him off the ball was arguably more effective and more efficient of a play than it was on ball. And I think that's the misconception. He's not going to come in and necessarily steal the ball away from Jokic and Murray and those guys. He can play off ball and complement them as a shooting weapon. And that's what's going to be really intriguing to see how he's utilized there in Denver. What do you think about Jabari Parker's two-year deal in Chicago? I wrote about this this week on The Ringer. I love it for both sides. For Jabari, um, it's a good opportunity to go home, play with a young roster. You're, you're part of, you are along a similar trajectory as a lot of those other guys. And for Chicago, it is a one-year, maybe two-year chance to look at a guy who just a couple of years ago was a number two pick, who was a top top hotly recruited high school prospect, a guy who before he tore his ACL the second time, uh, had a pretty good scoring season for the Milwaukee Bucks, and now you're installing him in a system that you know emphasizes sh- emphasizes shooting the three. Um, it's a little bit more modernized, a little bit more motion based. Maybe Jabari Parker can get back on the developmental track with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, he has concerns about defense and passing, and there's a little overlap with Zach Levine on the offensive end of the floor. But guess what, man? He he's another he's another guy to add to their stockpile of young players, and maybe one of them pops. How about this for timing, Kevin? We got some breaking news. Oh, I know what this one is. I I, I wasn't even going to bring it up. (laughs) It involves the Grizzlies. Are you moving to Memphis to to cover the Grizzlies? Because in between Kyle Anderson and now Garrett Temple, it is on. Sacramento is finalizing a trade that's going to send Garrett Temple to Memphis for Ben McLemore, Deontay Davis, and Cash. League sources tell ESPN. I will tell you this. Memphis was able to find the one team that still really likes Ben McLemore, which is Dave Yeager liked him. He likes Ben McLemore. His season last year in Memphis was an unmitigated disaster. And there's only one year left on his deal. And Deontay Davis, I mean, it was a third summer league and he just did not show. Um, Last night, he he got absolute. Oh, I mean, Swanigan destroyed him. I, I felt bad. I was like, you know, get in the car before he comes to the locker room and beats your ass again. <laughs> because it was bad. You better run to the bus. Funny thing is, this- is I had him ranked like 14th or something like that. And I, and I remember <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like, geez, this, this is a major risk. I mean, like, this kid is like so, he's certainly very, very quiet, right, Chris? Deontay Davis. Sweet, 
Oh, he's very hey, sweet. Listen. Yeah, very sweet kid. Yeah, I'm not sure there's the the killer rim protector in there. You know what I mean, right? I think that's fair to say, right? I think Deontay, and I really like the kid for certain, but I don't think Deontay loves basketball. Yeah, there was a little that's bit of the that. Thing. Yeah, and I mean, I know him. Yeah, and I I I genuinely like him as a person, and I would tell him, I tell him that. I don't think he loves basketball. Yeah, I'm and not, you can't fix yeah. that. You can't fix. You can't just. Yeah. you know what I mean. And this is this is not untrue. There was never there was never fire. There's never no, fire th- when watching him at Michigan State, and, and, and I, having him ranked that highly, I, I I think I I clearly missed or I didn't weigh that factor enough that um he just doesn't have that fire, and and that's why he that's one of the reasons why he fell into the draft into the thirty first pick where Memphis acquired him. Oh yeah, everybody Ooh. said he was a yeah. lottery talent. Yeah. He was worth the risk at 31. You can't blame Memphis for taking him. It's a good spot to take that gamble. Yeah, but in retrospect, that draft is now a waste. I don't know. It depends on what Garrett Temple does. Oh, then I you mean, get, then you got Wade Baldwin as well. Well, no, no, yeah. no. They took, they took, they they traded. That that's how the Boston pick is going there. They got Deontay Davis yeah. and then a kid named yep. Rod H. Zagorak. Yep. Who I love, another guy that I thought was pretty solid as well. Oh, good grief. Yeah. If for I mean, the second, Rod, second round, Rod yeah, Zagora, I couldn't. Yeah. He, I mean, no offense, but he could not beat me in a foot race. <laughs> I know. I mean, I mean he's he was a solid. Again, he was a solid gamble in the second round. But I'm still stunned at some of the guys that fell in that draft. Like like Zagorak went one pick ahead of Malcolm Brogdon, three picks ahead of Pat McCaw. Yeah. Not to mention, yeah, no, all right, and one of them was rookie of the year for God. The next pick was rookie <laughs> of the year for goodness sakes. Um. Essentially, I think this is for Chris Memphis a, a trade for a, a better player. Like they probably well, this be- is, no, this is a home run as far as uh, I mean, again <laughs> Garrett Temple home well, listen, run. <laughs> no, hey, listen, the bar is so low. The bar is so low. Listen, th- this guy could at least play. The yeah, other two can't I play. I know exactly. So I traded two guys that can't play for one that can. At least I got that. Yeah, it, it's it's all about. <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't even gonna. I wasn't even gonna bring up the deal. I saw the tweet earlier, and, and now you're calling it a home run for the Grizzlies. Oh, you have no idea. There might be a damn parade in Memphis today. <laughs> Garrett Temple. Yeah, I mean, he definitely. Garrett Temple. He definitely helps over Ben McLemore. That's for there sure. There you go. And trading Deontay Davis opens up playing time for Jaron Jackson as if he wasn't going to play over him in the first place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, let's get to one other big story that has happened over the course of the last week, which is Jimmy Butler turning down a four-year, $100 million extension from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, there are some guys that have gotten burned betting on themselves, i.e. Nerlens Noel and others. Jimmy Butler does not fall into that category. Once upon a time, Chicago offered Jimmy Butler a four-year, $44 million deal. He turned that down played out the year, became the NBA's most improved player, and ended up signing a $90 million deal. And so Butler has bet on himself before and come out in the uh, mega positive. Now it appears he is doing that once again. There's $100 million on the table. Saying no to $100 million is not easy, I can I can imagine. Um but he stands too if he comes back, has another great season, has an all-star caliber season. He stands to make even more than that. Um, what do you think about uh, Minnesota attempting to lock him in uh, for the $100 million? And what do you think of Butler saying, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'll play this one out and see what happens next offseason. 
Yeah, you know, for both sides, for Minnesota, it's a no-brainer to make the offer, and for Jimmy Butler, it's a no-brainer to turn it down because next summer, uh, you could you could potentially be eligible for around five years, one hundred ninety million from Minnesota or anywhere else in the, around the, across the league. Four years, about one forty-five million dollars, one hundred forty, hundred forty-five million dollars. So you'd be set to earn about fifty million dollars more. Next summer, just by waiting to sign the deal, it does. There's no, there's no reason for him to sign the deal now. As tough as it might be to to turn down that money, you already just signed a, a ninety million dollar contract uh, last time around, right? You might also want to not lock yourself into Minnesota. You might want to look at your other options that are out there, like the Los Angeles Clippers next summer. That one just kind of went away, didn't it? The whole Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns did stuff. it though. No, I'm saying uh, uh, in terms of like media narrative and like it was it was hot for a minute there in the summer and then it went dormant. I'm saying the news regarding I'm not saying the relationship. I'm not saying the relationship got any better. Well, I don't think it's going away, though. I mean, remember, remember last December when we talked about the Minnesota Timberwolves and, you know, I talked about some. We we discussed like some of the chemistry issues that I was hearing about uh, within their locker room. It's not like it's necessarily going away uh, it just came back at the time i remember the con- you know it was like a surprise that, that there might have been issues within the locker room i believe i remember saying at the time it was something about guys being against carl anthony towns because of his effort and his attitude um, but that doesn't necessarily mean towns is at fault it's just there is a little bit of clashing um, going back and forth and we'll see if that goes away maybe the fact that it's out there now Things are a little bit better moving forward. Sometimes you need to hit a low to, to reach a new high. Uh, so maybe well, it'll be a good thing gonna for It's going to be him. very interesting to keep track of because what if it becomes him or me? Well, it's pretty easy. It's Carl Anthony Towns. Goodbye to anybody else. It should be that easy. It should be, right? Do you, do you agree? It should be. Okay, you're, you're suddenly Minnesota Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor. Chris Vernon, you now, you now own the Timberwolves. And Tom Thibodeau walks into your offices and he says... I need to trade one of Carl Anthony Towns or Jimmy Butler. How are you advising him? What am I getting? Okay, well, question. you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying you're not trading Carl Anthony Towns. You're not trading him. We're keeping Cat. Cat is Cat is part of the future. He was such a massive disappointment when it mattered most. That's yeah. what I have in my head. Yeah, he's he's 22, and I get it. Before Butler got there, he was dropping. 25 and 12 with super efficiency in the and losing and, and 60 games a year. I don't care. In the second half of that you season, have to care. I don't care. You have to care. It's the rest of the roster. It's not his fault. You have to care. Well, the rest of the roster wasn't a problem in the playoffs. He did nothing. Nothing. I know he stunk. You're right. He stunk in the playoffs. He, he wasn't. Like not stunk. Like if he had any kind of. Yeah, but, but is it all, all Towns' fault that he had 12 shots a game? One of the best offensive centers in the league. And they feed him 12 shots a game? I understand. It's a joke. That's, he should be getting fed, force-fed shots. And yes, you can say, and I agree with this, part of it is that Carl Anthony Towns was a little bit passive, not, not necessarily seeking out a shot. You know, he's not necessarily being as aggressive as he can be establishing low post positioning. But you know what? He is one of the best offensive centers in the game and he should not be shooting only 12 shots a game. There should be shot. There should be plays called for him to get shots. There should be more balls being fed to him to get him the ball. 12 shots isn't enough. It's just not. I would be worried. I would be worried that Jimmy Butler leaves me and I'm back to now. I've built the team around 
this kid being the man and I'm back to losing. Okay, well, then maybe you should trade Jimmy Butler right now. But you shouldn't trade Carl Anthony Towns at 22 years old when he can sign a max contract extension to keep him locked up until he's in his late 20s. You should not no. be trading Carl Anthony Towns. Maybe you shouldn't have given Andrew Wiggins all that money. Maybe that was the mistake. But Carl Anthony maybe? Towns. Maybe? My point maybe is. Maybe that yeah, was the mistake. <laughs> my, point, my point is <laughs> is that Carl Anthony Towns is not the problem. That's my point. If you trade Towns, you're, you're essentially no. saying goodbye listen, to your job. Let me play devil's advocate. Listen, I'm, I'm with you. He's still young. He's way too, he's grossly talented. And I would love to, uh, and, and certainly he is the younger of the players. And so I would love to fancy myself to build around him. That being, uh, uh, the devil's advocate is Jimmy Butler has been perpetually unhappy. I mean, that's true. So which is it, right? At some point, is it Jimmy Butler or is it everybody else? And well, it's not Carl Anthony Towns. Well, and you know, Thibodeau and Butler, they're like, you know, blood brothers. Yep. So that's the hard part. The best player on the team, <laughs> or at least, how about this? The bulldog on the team and the coach, you know, both kind of think you're soft. And it's, it, you know, it, it, that's a tough spot, right? Because I can of imagine, yeah. I can imagine Thibodeau, Taj, and Butler thinking this guy is a sissy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Seriously, uh, I know. Yeah, um, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> but um, and 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 then him being like, um, you know, like screw you guys, and that's yeah, why. Exactly. That's why this. I absolutely believe if we were out for drinks, you know, out in Vegas with those guys, that that's what they would say. <laughs> and that that's where it becomes tough. Exactly. They might you know, be right. He might be a sissy. I don't well, know. Ta- Towns is a young kid. He likes to play video games and hang out with his right. girlfriends. And you know what? He he's really great offensive center. He's fantastic. Um, and yes, you would like for him to be a little bit better defense, a lot better defensively. Yes, you would like him to be a little bit more engaged on the offensive end of the floor instead of you know you know fading in and out of games. But you know what? Like I said before, they got Jimmy Butler over the second half of the 2016-17 season. That guy was dropping like 28 points. High efficiency with 13 rebounds per game, and over the, the his three seasons, he's shown flashes of become of being a good defensive player, just as he did in college. And the fact that he took a big step back on the offensive of the floor, four less shots per game, four less points per game, that to me is disappointing. Knowing the type of player that he is, 42 percent from three last yeah. season, and 86 percent free throw shooter. This guy is one of the most efficient scores at the big man position in the league and the fact he's only getting 14 shots per game it's not enough it's not enough that guy needs to be the the focal point on the offensive end of the floor in order to maximize your chances of really keeping him engaged mentally but not only that but improving your offense too wiggins is the mistake there's no way around that i mean he's i mean he doesn't do anything no, I'm with you. What do you think Thibodeau Taj and Jimmy Butler think of Carl Towns being in the ESPN body issue? I mean, whatever, man. I, I, I can't I, imagine. I, 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 I can't I, imagine their conversation. I, I never, I never think to myself like, "Oh, that was a good tweet." When it comes to like my own tweets, like I always think, "Man, like I, I you know, my tweets stink." But this one was a good tweet. A couple of weeks ago, I tweeted this, Chris: "The Andrew Wiggins contract is going to be such an albatross unless he starts passing." rebounding, defending, and shooting well, <laughs> right? Like, he doesn't do anything well right now. It's, Who wrote that for you? <laughs> me. You're like, Drake, you got a ghostwriter. <laughs> no. Uh, that, that was a good tweet. <laughs> I don't have many good tweets, but that was a good one. And um, Andrew Wiggins, unfortunately, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it sucks, man, because like you see the potential sometimes when he stays engaged on defense. Like you can see how he can lock down multiple positions, but the offensive end, the passing's not there, the rebounding is never there. He's an inefficient scorer, still too in love with the mid range. His three pointer hasn't reached the level that it needs to. Thirty three percent for his career. It's just not there, man, and they're going to pay him a boatload of money. They're dropping the bags these next couple of years, and that's scary for them because, uh, yes, maybe he's tradable, but I'm not sure what you get back. Last two things. Do you think it works out with Boston and Marcus Smart? Number one. Mark Murphy from the Boston Herald reported that it seems like Marcus Smart might sign his one-year qualifying offer, which would make him an unrestricted free agent next summer. I mean, Marcus is going to have to realize it's a business. All right. And secondly... Everything has gone incredibly silent on the Kawhi Leonard front. Are you more persuaded now that Kawhi Leonard will, in fact, be a spur next year? Or do you think that this is going to resolve itself before, you know, in the next month and a half where he ends up on a different team? I mean, I still think, you know, as you know, we discussed in May and June, same thing, Chris. I still think the Spurs could drag this out into training camp and maybe even into the season. No guarantees that happens. I mean, it all, all it takes is for a team to step up and make an acceptable offer. That's all it takes for whether it's Toronto or, you know, the Clippers or somebody else, Boston, Philadelphia. All it's going to take is for a team to step up and make an acceptable offer for this all to end. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if San Antonio drags us into the season. And he killed that opportunity. He really did. Kawhi. Yes, by it becoming so public that he does not want to be there. You know, life is leverage. And if you're San Antonio, it feels less like you are competing with every other team for his services and in terms of putting together the best trade. And you come at it with the standpoint of, what are you going to do? Like Stephen A. Smith has said that he may sit out if you keep him. Like, you want, you want to do this? Fine. Go ahead. Don't take our deal. You keep him. And that's where it, because it became so public, that's where it became a disaster. But maybe in the end, they will get great return. But there's no doubt in my mind that their possible return was hurt greatly by this all becoming so public. Rather than it happening behind closed doors, them being at odds, and then coming out, and and then just out of nowhere, trading him, right? And then the story comes out. We were at odds. He didn't want to be here anymore. This is why this took place. But the fact that it all played out in public on such a massive stage, I cannot help but think that that hurt their opportunity to get great return probably very badly. I have one other thought too, Chris. Let me hear. Um, It was pointed out on Twitter that the Kings trade with the Grizzlies, that massive home run deal for Memphis, it opens up cap space for the Kings where now they have $20.5 million in cap space. And that's notable. Um, because I've recently heard that, and this is no surprise at all, like it's been reported hundreds of times, you know, past couple months, that, you know, Houston would be looking for a team to dump Ryan Anderson on that could ease the path to signing Carmelo Anthony. Uh, and Sacramento suddenly can fit in Ryan Anderson's $20.4 million deal within their $20.5 million cap. 
So I do wonder. Yeah, what else do they get? Uh, well, you got to get what? something else. Why Ryan, am I taking? Why am I paying Ryan well, Anderson twenty million dollars? Well, for and, and then you're paying him twenty one point three million dollars next year. Uh, so you do need to get more than that back in return. And we'll I see. I need every first round pick for the next decade. Oh come on! What? No, you don't. You're negotiating right now, and I would hang up the phone if that's what you said. You're not getting all the picks. What is my benefit? It's just two years. Ryan Anderson's not horrible. What? Why do I want him? Well, why do you want him? Because you're getting something in return. Whether yeah, it's I know. A, what am I wh- getting? Whether it's a young player or whether it's, I don't know, man. You're getting something back. Whether it's a young player or a future pick, you're getting something. A future or, pick? Or, or it could be, you know, the flip side is like what Chicago did. They opened up more cap space, and now they're about to make a more wealthy offer sheet onto one of the manning restricted free agents like Clint Capella. They should ask for that, um, what's his name, uh, Joe Chi, the Chinese center. They should ask for him so that uh, Vladi Divac's uh, master plan of adding 16 centers can come to fruition. I like Joe Chi. Of course you do. You like everybody that has ever been attached to Philadelphia and Houston. No, that's that's not true. You've never said a bad thing about either any player on either of those two organizations. What are you talking about? It's true. Wait, Philly or Houston? Yes. What are you Those talking two. about? I, every time I talk about Ben Simmons, I say Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand. Every I, single oh, time. Good grief. Without you, fail. you don't slander Ben Simmons. Yeah, you Give can't me a break. Shoot. Yeah, what are you talking about? Ben Simmons is great, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, he is you great. Nitpick. You nitpick. Yeah, but ben it's, not, it's not nitpicking to say a guy can't shoot. But I, th- I even thought about it last night when I was watching Summer League. I'm like, I'm like, oh, God. I was like, I wonder if. I was like, this guy is We're just th- talking about Markel Fultz eating Hold on cheese now. fries last week. <laughs> that was a Colangelo guy. Oh, you mean the Hinky guys? Yeah. Oh, come on. Oh, God. Like, you know what I mean? They could, they could sign Robert Covington to $300 million and you'd write how great it <laughs> that's was. That's not true. It's like the, it's like that's the bright future. Hey, yeah, it's like a, the bright Hey, true. by the way, oh, I forgot. I got to get this in here before we get out of here today. Forgot about your bright future sons. Josh Jackson shot like 12% <laughs> from the field. Dragon Bender had a couple more points than I did at Summer League. <laughs> They stink. They stink. <laughs> and they just paid Devin Booker at $900 billion. So they're yeah, the, bright the, future the, sons yeah, are in great the, the shape. Sun, the sons, I, I said to somebody at some point, I think it was a fan. Uh, he was like, thank you for you know being the only national writer who like supports the sons <laughs> like that, that like sees their bright future. And I was like, yeah, no problem, man. Like, I, I mean it. Like, I really think the team has a bright future. And I said to him, I was like, you guys are like the Golden State Warriors of Summer League. <laughs> Oh, and they got eliminated in like the first or second round. Of course of they the did. <laughs> DeAndre Ayton had flashbacks of playing Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Josh Jackson's new look with the sleek hair, but he couldn't hit a shot well, to save I, his I life. Mean, Jackson, Jackson, I never, I never loved him in the drafts. Never loved him in the shot. Again, like, you know, I mean, he can at least shoot at a competent level, uh, like a below average level. But, um, He's got a long, long way to go in order to become a, an effective shooter. He's not there yet. Would have, I would have taken Isaac over him if I were Phoenix last year. All right. Last thing, uh, there is the Summer League final that is going on tonight, and I will tell you that I was intensely, I have been intensely impressed with Josh Hart throughout the Summer League. Killing I think it. without question, he is going to end up the Summer League MVP and watching him last night, and again, you can just say it's just Summer League, but this is a guy that is very, very good on both ends. He is one that I regret a little bit going into the draft, not going to war for him. He was He's, he's an example of one of those guys that you watch in college, and he is clearly good, 
right? And then the ageism comes into play and it's like, yeah, but what is he going to be? You know what turned, I don't want to say sour, but you know what cooled me on Josh Hart and whether or not I thought he was going to be able to really be good at the next level. If you go back, his combine was an absolute disaster. Oh, his first one, his first year, especially. It was, he, he was horrific. It, no, but I mean, even his, like, you know, you saw some of these like vertical leaps, right? And guys were posting 40 something inches, like even a DiVincenzo or something like that, right? His was like 27 or something. I mean, it was not, it, not only was it not like high caliber athlete, it was, you could find high school kids. And then like the shuttle drills and like just the numbers that came back. He is a great example of be wary of the athletic testing sometimes because I I remember reading all about his athletic testing and being like, geez, man, I really liked him, but he just may not be good enough, a good enough athlete if he can't. If that's as high as he can jump and that's as fast as he can move, like he might be one of those guys that was just a great college player. And because I always liked him at Villanova. Uh, but man, oh man, it looks watching him, you know, throughout this summer league, the Lakers, I think they really, I mean, there's no question they nailed that pick considering where they took oh, him. Oh, no doubt. I, I, I underrated him for sure. I had him ranked 35th for some of the same concerns you just mentioned, Chris. And, and he's come, it was just two years ago, his first time after his junior year at Villanova when he struggled at the combine and he went back to school. He was better as a senior. Um, and then he did better at the combine the following year, even though, as you said, the athletic testing still wasn't great. Um, yeah, it, there was a lot of it was ageism with him. 22 entering the draft. Uh, athleticism still wasn't great. Creating his own shot. But you know what? That dude balls. And we're seeing he that does. right now. He balls. Flat winner for sure. Yeah. And so anyways, uh, I suspect he will win the Summer League MVP. And I think the Lakers will probably win the Summer League once again. There's a rematch of all things. A rematch of last year's. Oh, it's a rematch. I didn't realize it was a rematch. Yeah, I knew the Lakers. Oh, cool. Same two teams. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that played in last year's. Funny thing is, is Hart Hart makes sense based on his skill set to start for the Lakers. Oh yeah, he makes sense. Like Ball, Hart, Ingram, yeah. LeBron, center, <laughs> uh, McGee or, or Zubats or Mo Wagner, right. the the best center in basketball. <laughs> It'll be intriguing to see to see what type of lineup they run out, run out there. But but certainly Hart starting makes some sense. I would like to be see a fantastic, that. He could be a fantastic role player for sure. Yeah, and, definitely. And for, he could, for a long you know, time. I mean, you get a lot of open looks with, with LeBron out there. Yeah, long, long and he, he can be also, a good player. The thing I like about him is he passes the ball. Oh, yeah. So many of the guys that are really successful in Summer League are, are successful in Summer League just because they're jacking all the time. But he's a good team basketball player. I really like him. I do. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. I'm glad we're going to be able to chat throughout the summer over the course of the next couple of weeks. Inevitably, something will happen. I have to head to go get my Garrett Temple jersey made. Hell yes. Can you get me one too? The Garrett Temple era begins. I think this is a franchise changing move <laughs> no for the Grizzlies. It. Garrett Temple. I can see it now. Statues outside the forum. Tony Allen, Zach Randolph, Garrett Temple. All right, that's going to do it for another Ringer NBA show. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week.